Well, praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord. We are gathered here today to give worship and glory to our God who is truly worthy to be praised of all things. And so I, I, I know no, no matter what you have come this morning, uh, whatever you're facing, I pray that God's word would meet you right where you are. And I'm thankful, thankful for God and his many, many blessings. So I give honor to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has blessed us here to gather uh, for corporate worship, for corporate worship. I want to thank uh, Pastor Corey in his absence uh, and Pastor Andy and the elders of this gracious church for the invitation to come back and to speak to you all. I also want to personally thank you all for uh, this church, for praying for my wife uh, who recently had an illness. But by God's grace, she's doing so much better now. And on October 3rd, we celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. So God is good. God is truly good. So all glory and honor go to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Moral corruption, spiritual decline, rampant injustice, laws that seem pointless because the justice system is corrupt. I'm not actually talking about today, but life in Judah during the time of Habakkuk. But what was true then is true today. And so this is why Habakkuk is an Old Testament minor prophet book, but it is highly relevant for us now. Little is known about the prophet Habakkuk, but he was likely a contemporary to Zephaniah and Jeremiah. His book was written in Judah during the reign of Jehoiakim, who did evil in the sight of the Lord. Probably sometime between 640 and 615 B.C. This book is unique because it records a dialogue between Habakkuk and God about the moral decline that was happening in Judah. Thankful for the brother who read the scriptures already, but, it, but if you don't mind, I'd like to read them again. And this time, I just want you to sit and feel, try to feel what Habakkuk may have been facing. Think about even now in this land and how his words might Give voice to your words and your questions. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence. And you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? 
destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked, the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Now the Lord answers. Look among the nations and see and wonder and be astonished for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told for behold I am raising up the Chaldeans that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth the sea's dwellings not their own they are dreaded and fearsome their justice and dignity go forth from themselves their horses are swifter than leopards more fierce than the evening wolves their horsemen press proudly on their horsemen come from afar they fly like an eagle swift to devour they all come for violence all their faces forward they gather captives like sand at kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh they laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it then they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men whose own might is their God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his holy and inspired word. So this morning, I want to talk on the subject, questions to the God who answers. Questions to the God who answers. Will you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, will you bless us this morning that we would hear your word, that you would speak for your servants are listening. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see your glory. That when we leave this place, we're not enamored with any preacher, with any pastor, with any person, but we're enamored with your son, Jesus Christ. God, touch your people. Hide me behind the cross that I would decrease so that you would increase and get all the glory. Do your work, I pray. For your word will be sent out and it shall not return until you void. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Questions to the God who answers. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. This was one of Habakkuk's questions to God. He had questions to God, Habakkuk is lamenting the state of his country. He sees violence and asks God, why does he not save? He sees iniquity and he asks why God idly looks at wrong. He sees that the law is paralyzed and justice does not go forth. And the wicked surround the righteous. 
don't know about you, but I'm right there with Habakkuk. I'm right there with Habakkuk. When, when violence invades our schools and children are shot and slaughtered, my question is, why don't you save, Lord? When iniquity and sinful deeds are all around and even legalized, my question is, don't you see this, Lord? When the justice system seems to favor the wealthy and the powerful while there is bias against the poor, minorities, and marginalized, we probably have questions for God. And often we feel like it's wrong to ask God questions. But there's a difference between Asking God questions and questioning God. There's a difference between asking God questions and questioning God. We should never question God as if he's incapable or incompetent. Commentator Kenneth Barker writes, Human nature tends to be filled with complaints. But human beings typically complain in the wrong directions. For example, we tend to talk about God rather than talk to him. We tend to complain about God rather than complaining to him. Habakkuk took his complaints directly to God. So we can take our questions to God. We don't question God as if he is not able to handle the world. But I know we have done that. I don't know about you, but maybe I'm just talking about myself this morning. That I have sat back like the armchair quarterback who has never played football in his life. Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they run this play? Why did the quarterback do this? And I'm sitting here with my limited vision, not able to see all the world events, can't see time beyond a few seconds in front of me saying, God, why didn't you do this? God, why didn't you do that? As I sit back and have no clue as to how to run the universe. But God is more than able to handle our questions. He can handle our pain and raw emotions. So where do you go when life is confusing and doesn't make sense? Like Habakkuk, you might wonder what God is doing about the suffering, the pain, the injustice, and the wickedness in our world. But let's get real on a personal level. You might be wondering, what is God doing about the suffering, the pain, and the injustice in your life? You might wonder why your loved one, who was godly, died while the wicked people live a long time. You might ask the same question that Job asked. Job asked in 21, Job 21 and 7, why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? You might wonder why you got laid off 
when you're trying to serve him, but your godless neighbor never has any job or financial difficulties. You might wonder why you're having a health crisis, yet unbelievers are healthy while living a debaucherous lifestyle. You might wonder why your spouse broke their marriage vows while pagan couples seem so happy. What are your questions? Where do you take the cries of your heart? I'm here this morning to encourage you to take them to God. Talk to God about your pain. Talk to God about your questions. Talk to God about your confusions. Talk to God when you're hurting. Talk to God when you don't know which way to go. Because 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. God already knows your innermost being. So you are free to share all your questions and your doubts with God. And I love this in Psalm 56, verse 8 from the New Living Translation. It says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. And you have recorded each one in your book. God knows about your pain. He sees all your tears. He keeps track of all you're going through. He notices. He sees. He cares. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but this has been a hard year for my wife and I. But I'm so glad to know that he sees every tear. He has kept track of every pain. It has been recorded in his book. And God is able to take your questions. He's able to bear your pain. And God demonstrated this when he bore all our pain and suffering through Jesus on the cross. He bore it all for us. And God graciously answered Habakkuk. See, God does not have to answer us. We don't demand him to come and give us an answer. But God so graciously answered Habakkuk. But guess what? His answer was not what Habakkuk expected. Instead, he got an unexpected answer from God. God was working even though Habakkuk couldn't see it. And God has not changed. He's working today even when we can't trace his activity. In fact, God's work was so astonishing that Habakkuk and Judah would not even believe it. God was raising up the Chaldeans, a 
a.k.a. the Babylonians, to punish Judah. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, hold up. Wait, wait, hold on. God's answer to the wickedness of Judah is the even more wicked Babylonians? What are you doing, God? So who are the Chaldeans? They live northwest of the Persian Gulf, and they quickly rose to power. They conquered Assyria and Egypt to become the strongest world power. They had a mighty military and swift horses. They loved to take captives like a child collecting sand in a bucket at the beach. Fortresses meant nothing to them, for they would scale walled cities by piling up dirt against the walls. Babylon was one of the most evil empires there ever was. And Pastor Corey told me that you are going through the book of Revelation, which we are actually going through the book of Revelation as well over at Mount Zion. And you're going to see in Revelation that Babylon comes to symbolize any evil empire and kingdom that opposes God and persecutes God's people. Now, certainly, Habakkuk thought God would deal with Judah's immorality, but not by using the Babylonians. This was an unexpected answer. Has God ever answered your prayers in unexpected ways? You prayed about a situation and thought God would answer one way, but he does something totally out of left field, and you're sitting here going, God, why did you do it this way? But if we could figure God out, then he wouldn't be God, you would. God's ways are not our ways. That's what it says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. See, one of the major themes of Habakkuk is the righteous must live by faith. Believers are to live by faith, not by sight, nor by feeling. We as Christians often live by sight what we can see or by how we are feeling. That's why your faith need not be on your feelings. Because you know how it is. Come on now. You feel pretty good when you got some money in your pocket, don't you? Come on, you're in church. You can be honest. Your faith is on your feelings. So when you got money, your faith is high because you're feeling good. But has anyone ever looked in their pocket for some money and all they found was lint? Now you feel 
low. And if your faith is on your feelings, your faith goes low. When you're healthy, your faith is high. When you're in the hospital, your faith is low. When you got a lot of friends, your faith is high. But when all your friends leave you, your faith is, your faith is low. When you got a lot of hearts and likes, your faith is high. But when no one saw your posts, your faith is low. But when your faith is based on the character of God, guess what? God is not fickle. God does not change. Therefore, my faith can be in him because he's always God. He's always good. So when I have money, I can have faith because God is good. When I'm dead broke, I can still have faith because my God is good. When I'm feeling good, I can have faith because my God is good. When I'm in the hospital or life support, I can still have faith because my God is still good. He's still good. We must learn to trust God even when we don't understand what he's doing. We can trust God. We can trust God because we know that he is good. We can trust God because we know he is righteous. We can trust God because we know that he knows the ending from the beginning. We can trust God because he, we know he cannot lie. We can trust God because we know he's been faithful in the past. We can trust God because we know he cannot change. We can trust God because we know he is for us, not against us. We can trust God because we know he cares for us. And we can trust God because we know that he sent his son to die for our sins while we were yet sinners. You can go ahead and say amen. Yes, he may answer our questions and our prayers in unexpected ways, but we must learn to trust him. We must learn to trust him. God's use of the Chaldeans as punishment against his people Judah demonstrates God's sovereignty over the wicked. God's sovereignty over the wicked. God is sovereign over all things. That's just a fancy way of saying he is in control. He is the sovereign. He is the Lord. He has everything under his control, even the wicked. That's because he created everything, even the wicked. God can use the wicked to accomplish his purposes. God can control evil, but he does not create evil. He's not the author of sin, but he can use sinful people to achieve his purpose. James 1, 13 through 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
when Joseph's brothers did their wicked deed by selling him into slavery, God used it to put Joseph as second in command in Egypt so that he would save Israel when a severe famine hit. And that's why Joseph could say in Genesis 50 verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So even Today, we see wicked men rise to power, wicked nations invade and attack smaller nations, and wicked people commit acts of terrorism. Wicked people enslave other people for generations, yet God is sovereign over all this wickedness and can use it to accomplish his divine purposes. God will use Babylon as his rod of judgment against Judah. But in due time, they would suffer divine judgment for their wickedness. Even when it seems like wickedness is winning, God has a plan. God has a plan. I understand some of the rhetoric. We got to do this. We got to align with this political party. We got to do this. We got to mobilize or everything is lost as if it all depended upon us. I want you to know today it does not matter which political party is in control. It does not matter who is the president. It does not matter who is the king of some nation, who is the minister uh, of some nation. It does not matter who declares himself the supreme leader. God has a plan. God has a plan, and it will come to fruition. Even when it looks like the wicked is winning. Because in verse 4, Habakkuk said that the wicked surround the righteous. The wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. And I want to remind us this morning that over 2,000 years ago, on a Friday, the greatest act of perverted justice was performed when a completely innocent man was crucified between two thieves. The wicked surrounded the truly righteous one. The wicked flogged and hung him on a cross like a common criminal. It seemed like the wicked had triumphed over Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But early, early on Sunday morning, Jesus rose in victory from the dead. I don't know about you, but I'm glad about that. Are you glad this 
morning that Jesus rose in victory over the dead. Satan, sin, he has the victory. And this was all according to God's plan. Acts 2, 22-24, Peter's preaching at Pentecost. He says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible. It was not possible for death to be held, for him to be held by it. It was not possible for death to hold him. We got any old school wrestling fans up in here? Not wrestling, wrestling. You know, back when the, it was the WWF, and you know how they would, they would get him on the floor, and they would go in for that, that count, that ref would be like, one. Two, three, and then that shoulder would come up like, oh, no, don't count me out yet. That's how it was. Jesus was in that grave on Friday. One, he laid in a tomb on Saturday. Two. But come early Sunday morning, not yet. He got up from the grave with all power and victory in his hands. He was not defeated. It was according to God's plan. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad about it that he rose, that he rose, that he rose. Because our default nature is wicked and our sin separates us from the holy God but God graciously sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and Jesus' resurrection from the dead demonstrated that he is God and has defeated sin, death, and Satan. See, you might not understand what God is doing, but he is working, and he will deal with injustice. But before you and I worry about the wickedness and the injustice out in the world, you must deal with the wickedness and injustice in your heart. You must deal with the wickedness 
and injustice in your heart. Why doesn't God do something about all the injustice in the world today? You better be glad he hasn't because if he did, you would not be here. You should be glad, you and I should be glad that God has not fully dealt with injustice yet because he's given people time to repent and trust in Jesus. Because when you trust in Jesus and what he has done on the cross, you will be forgiven of all your sins and saved from the wrath of God against wickedness. You're here this morning, and I don't want to presume anything about where you are at in with your walk with the Lord. But if you're here today and you don't know him, I implore and plead with you to get to know this man called Jesus. He is the Son of God. He's died the death that you deserve to die. He lived the life you could not live. He rose with victory and power, and everyone who places their faith in him, their, his righteousness will be a credit to you. It is a foreign righteousness. It is an alien righteousness that you do not have on your own, but it is given to you. It is a credit to you. You did not earn it, but it was graciously given. And everyone, everyone who places their faith, does not matter what background you have, does not matter where you came from, does not matter black, white, Hispanic, African, uh, uh, Irish, European, British, it does not matter. All who come to Christ will not be put to shame. Whatever you have done, he is mighty to save. And if you're here today, you have loved ones that you are thinking about right now that do not know the Lord Jesus. Keep praying. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep evangelizing. Keep sharing the good news and the hope that God would draw them to himself. Because, yes, it looks like wickedness is winning. But God is giving time. He's given time. His grace is holding off his wrath from us. But we're going to see, and you're going to see in Revelation, there's coming a time when he will lower his hands. And his wrath will come. But until that time comes, or while you still have breath in your body, you have opportunity to trust in Jesus. As we live in confusing times, we may have questions. We may have questions. Job had questions. Have you ever read through all of Job and notice that God never answers to Job? why he's going through what he's going through. We know because it's been recorded in Scripture, but Job has no clue because what you and I need is not answers and information. What we need is revelation of who God is. God just told Job, where were you when I created everything? And sometimes you just got to say, you know what, I done spoke too much. I need to shut my mouth 
as I stand before God. But we are so gracious that he invites us to take our questions to him. He may answer in ways that we do not expect, but that's okay because it teaches us to trust him. And God is sovereign over all, including the wicked. We may not always know what God is doing, but we must learn to trust God because he knows what he's doing. So, brothers and sisters, take your questions to the God who answers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you have graced us to hear the dialogue between your prophet Habakkuk and yourself. And you have assured us through your word that yes, there might be wickedness in the land. Yes, there is injustice. And yes, you are working in ways that we cannot imagine. So help us, I pray, to live by faith, that the righteous may live by faith, not by sight, not by feelings. Bless your people this morning who may have a lot of questions. Be gracious, help them to endure even if you don't answer their questions, but endure hardship as a faithful servant. And for those that may not know you, would you draw them to yourself that they may be forgiven by faith in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray all these things, receive all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen.